0: I love that, you guys. That's a real life group here at Westgate. Those are real people with real fears of getting connected, um, but jumping in and seeing how God worked. And it was awesome. I loved how he said at the end, at the end of the day, we are all on the same journey of trying to know and love Jesus and love people more. We all have something to offer as we journey together. I say jump in and go for it. As Ruth mentioned, we are starting our life group season um, this week. Uh, There are over 1,500 of you in life groups here at Westgate. It's a lifeblood for many of us. It's how we stay connected and how we get to love on each other and do life together. Um, But I want to give a shout-out really quick um, to our life group leaders. Thank you, those of you. We have 120 life groups, yes, that faithfully serve. And... Whether you're opening your home or you're here on campus, you're providing that space to make people feel welcome and loved. And so thank you and blessings to you as you start this season. I want to say also um, that I'm Lisa. (laughs) In case you're wondering, who is this person up here? She doesn't look like J. Kim. I am not J. Kim. I'm Lisa. I serve on staff here as our campus pastor and it is an honor to be with you today as we continue on in our series called... The greatest, why love matters most. And if you've been at Westgate for any length of time, you know there are three loves that we champion love God, love your neighbor, and love one another. And this morning's teaching is going to focus on loving one another. And the one another means our brothers and sisters in Christ, those within our church family. So if you look to the left and you look to the right, or forward or backwards, This is the one another, guys. We are the one another. Not only here at Westgate, but every Christ follower around the world is considered our brother and our sister in Christ. Today, though, we're going to talk about what it is to love one another here at Westgate, the body of Christ here, all right? Next week, we're going to focus on loving our neighbor, which is those in our community here and those around the world, just as important. And for those of you that might be here today and you're just exploring faith, my prayer for you is that you would get a small glimpse into what the with God life looks like, what it looks like to come together and to love one another and to journey through life with others who have put their faith and trust in Christ and that you would see it over time as a beautiful thing that it was created to be. John 13, 34, and 35 says, A new commandment I give you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This, you guys, is the distinctive mark of being a disciple of Jesus loving one another. In this time when this was written, when Paul was writing it, Jesus' followers who were Jewish would have been familiar with love, the Lord your God, with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But they're like, "Uh, what's this new commandment about loving one another? And so they were taken back by it and wanted to know more about it, what it was. And for us today, it is true that we are to love one another, but here's what's even more true it's impossible to do in our own strength. Really, I mean, think about the person that is just the most wonderful, sweet person that you could ever think of. It is impossible for them to love in their own strength. I think of Mother Teresa, you know, everyone she gave, she gave, she did not do it in her own strength. Love, love, love that. Um, anyone. Noticing, guys, that uh, this world has become an angry, divisive, and self-focused world. Yeah. It has always been, but it feels like more so recently. I don't know if you guys are sensing that. And our human response left to ourselves isn't love. But rather, more anger, hostility, and selfishness, even within the church. You're like, no, not here, not with one another. Well, it's nothing new because it's actually part of our sinful nature. This is why we need God in our lives. This is why we need his love as only it can transform us into people of love. We have an opportunity, you guys, for such a time as this, to show the world something different. To show them the way of Jesus, the way of love, by the way we love one another in community. 1 Corinthians 13, 2 says, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but I do not have love, I have nothing. In community, in community life here at Westgate, we have the opportunity to speak truth into each other's lives and help discern circumstances and situations. That's what prophecy and knowledge is about. And we often do this in a life group type situation where we unpack God's word together, the truth of God's word and we also, in life groups, had the opportunity to share the highs and lows of our lives and to pray for and with and on behalf of one another. And these are wonderful, wonderful gifts in community. But if when we lean into the lives of others without love, with alternative motives, self-centered ambitions... With our own insecurities, we can sabotage and damage the community that God designs and desires for us to have. Loving one another is going to require patience. It's going to require kindness. It's going to require celebration of others and humility. So my question for all of us and for myself today is, how can I? How can you and I grow in our love for one another? This year, this fall, how can we live out our distinct mark as Christ followers to love one another? Well, we're going to unpack that this morning. But before we do, would you just pray along with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are a God of unconditional love, of steadfast love a love abounding more and more. God, we need you. I need you. Thank you that you give your love away. As simple as for the asking. God, may we run to you as we find ourselves in situations and feelings, Lord, that aren't loving. And Lord, may you in return fill us with your love That we may shine brightly in the world around us. For your glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I ask you to open to 1 Corinthians 13. It's the passage that we've been in. And we're gonna look at two verses, verses four through six, this morning and unpack them together. So I'm gonna read them um, for you and then we're gonna talk about them. all about love. Wondering what love is? We're talking about that we're supposed to show love to one another. Here's what Jesus says. Love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. So you guys, I follow this comedian on Instagram. Her name is Ellen Schmidt, I think is how you say it. And she's famous for this phrase that she says, hey, Jesus, it's me. She's on her phone. Has anyone seen this? Okay, good, because I'm gonna try to imitate her because uh, she, she said something the other day, they're quick, like little 30-second things that, so lines with what we're teaching today. So I brought my phone and I'm gonna pretend I'm her. Now she's from the South, so she has an accent. (laughs) I only have one accent, it's a weird one. So, but I'm gonna make it try to sound um, Southern, all right? So this is what she does. This is what I came across the other day on my Instagram. Hey Jesus, it's me. Listen, when you say love is patient and love is kind, is that an either or? Or a pick one? Uh, it's not? You need us to do both? Okay, well, I'm going to have to call you back. <laughs> she did it much better. But it was hysterical. But isn't that the truth? Like, right? We want an either or, or, you know, maybe when we feel like it, I feel that way too. So I want us to do something. We're going to put up a slide that gives a blank space where every time the word love came up in our verse... I want us to just take a moment and put our own name in that, okay? So for me, it would be Lisa is patient, Lisa is kind, Lisa does not envy. Take a second, go through that list, and put your own name in there. I'll wait. Ouch. Ouch. That's all, I mean, for me, it's a huge, ouch. You know, it's, it's easy, you guys, to misread these verses, to be overwhelmed by our failures when we get to the end of reading this. The good news is, though, if you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed and highly convicted, it may be because you've misunderstood these. The, the, not what they are, but the context. Here's how I want to explain it. I think I used to see this. I equated it, these verses, as if I was baking a cake, okay? So let's pretend I have this cake, and I'll call it like a love cake or something. And I, here are all the ingredients all on the side, right? Love is patient, love is kind, all those things. Doesn't, doesn't do all these things. Um, well, when I read it, uh, it doesn't feel like I can make this cake, right? Because I'm not loving all the time. I'm not kind all the time. I struggle with envy, and you can ask my husband, I often insist on my own way, usually because I think I'm right, but every once in a while I'm not. But all to say, I am guilty of all of these. So how in the world are we going to ever grow in love? How are we going to have this beautiful love cake um, if we don't measure up, if we don't have the ingredients all the time? It'll just be a flop, right? Well, I'm grateful that these verses aren't telling us what we need to have in order to grow in love. Listen very carefully. This was an aha moment for me. What these verses are telling us is what love will do for us. What love will give us. It tells us what we, we will receive when we have love. If you have love, you will have patience. If you have love, you will be kind. If you have love you'll find you're not envy others as much. You're not as irritable or insisting on your own way. This is why love is supreme. It's why it's the greatest, you guys, because this is what it will produce in our lives. So how do we grow in love? Well, it starts by not beating ourselves up and feeling that unless we love perfectly, we've somehow failed, but rather thinking of these characteristics as lights on your car dashboard, if you will, the dashboard of your heart, warnings that these are opportunities to pause and invite Jesus into your situation. You see this picture of a dashboard? The gas light is on, the oil light is on. means, yikes, we need help. We're running low on something. We need more of something. I want to show you another picture. This is what our dashboard often looks like and reminds us, right? I'm running low on patience, envy, pride, boasting, help. It means we need something more and running low on something. And you know what that something is? It's love. But it's not our love. It's Jesus' love. So I want to put up another slide. And look what this says. When you're running low on yours, it says Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. He is not proud. He doesn't dishonor others. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrong. He doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. You can't give away something that you don't have. This love is God's love that he has placed in you and me as believers through the Holy Spirit and is made to overflow to him and to others as we're in relationship. In the Greek, this love is called agape love. It is a self-giving love and gives without demand or without expecting in return. It is a love so great that it can be given to the unlovable or the unappealing. Anybody have people like that in your life? Feel kind of unlovable and you just really don't want anything to do with them? It is a love that even when it is rejected, still loves. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment from the love given. Wow. It is not a love In order to receive. It's sacrificial, it's giving, it's an absorbing kind of love, and the love has very little to do with emotion, but rather has much to do with self-denial for the sake of others. So I want to take a closer look at verses 4 through 6 and see what Paul says and what this looks like. And the first part, the first part in verse 4 talks about the character of love. Love being patient and love being kind. These are two verbs, patient and kind. The passive nature of love is patience and the active nature of love is kindness. Guys, I hate to break it to you, but some people are going to try your patience maybe even happened on your way in today i don't know but you're going to be very tempted to be harsh possibly in return especially if they've done something or said something hurtful or wrong to you it is telling if we have love because if we have love jesus love we will be patient We will have love and we're going to be kind even in those hurtful situations because love will restrain the impulse of our flesh and lead us to trust God for the person who needs to acknowledge maybe that they were wrong. And we will wait patiently for them even if we don't see any kind of apology in the horizon. What will we do while we're waiting? It says, love is patient and love is kind. What? You want us to be kind while someone has wronged us and done something that was really hurtful to us? God says yes. It reminds me what he says in um, Romans 2:4. God, in his kindness, leads us to repentance. What if we leave the conviction to God of that person? And we just continue to be kind. What a new idea. Hard. But if God can do that for us, then we don't need to. We can be patient. I love um, in Exodus 34, 6 and 7... God is passing in front of Moses, and this is what God says about himself. This is interesting that God's, like, telling this about himself. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands. Did you get that? He's slow to anger. He's patient. And he maintains love. He's maintaining love. That's kindness. We can't do this, you guys, in and of our own strength. This is where, Jesus, I need you. I need your love for this person to be patient and to be kind. Well, after describing the character of love as patient and kind, Paul goes on to describe and share about the conduct of love. These are times when the warning light on our dashboard of our heart, if you will, comes to let us know that our love is not in play in our actions. Paul starts off by saying love does not envy. In other words, it doesn't covet or it's not jealous. Now, the believers in Corinth, when this was written, when all this chapter was written, um, they were envious of each other and each other's spiritual gifts. As Christ followers, we all have gifts that God has given us, and they're unique and different and given by God to us specifically. Why do we want some, always want somebody else's, right? Like, I think of my friend Amanda. She works with the babies in Kidstown, and I just call her the baby whisperer. She just has this gift. I believe it's a spiritual gift of just kind of almost exhortation to this little baby, like the way that she holds them, the way that she comforts them. It's just kind of speaking to them in such a way that they calm down. It's so unique, and I think, why can't I be that way when I work in there? You may think, oh, if only I could teach. Like, how awesome would that be? First off, let me tell you, it's a lot is for us. So it's not what you think. But beyond that, this is why we rely, rely on God. But God gives us each our own, and we're not to be envious of the other. First Corinthians 12, just the chapter before, this is what Paul says to the believers there. He says, now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear were to say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were the eye, where where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were the ear, where would the sense of smell be? Now get this. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just how he wants them to be. Guys, no need for envy within the body. No need for jealousy within the body. No need for coveting within the body. As it is, there are many parts but one body. As we grow in love, we will be able to be sincerely happy when God gives someone else something that he didn't give us. Whether it's a spiritual gift, whether it's something physically that he gives them, doesn't matter that we can sincerely be happy for them. Love will also replace envy with contentment. You guys want some contentment in your life? Give that envy to God because then you'll be grateful for what you have. We can only be grateful when we're content. And we can only be content when we're not envying. And we can only not envy when we've got God's love and not our own. Paul goes on to say that love does not boast and is not proud. When envy focuses on what others have that we don't have, being boastful and prideful focuses on the need of others to see what we have and who we are and what we've done. We become arrogant and self-focused. It's all about us. In a different translation, it uses the word puffed up. We kind of become puffed up. Well, guys, love doesn't get a big head. Love doesn't get puffed up. It isn't about us or what we've done, but rather focusing on others. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 and 22 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. There is no greater gift that we need to be puffed up about. We need to love all. Growing in love in this area will produce humility. The more you love, the more humble you will be, and the more you will want to build up other people rather than yourself. I know I'm guilty of that at times. So, asking God to grow me in humility. Then verse 5 goes on to say that love does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. Another way to say that is love is not rude and it doesn't insist on its own way. I love how it's talked about in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking at your own interest, but each of you the interest of others. As we grow in love, we will pause to think about the words we say. Might they hurt someone? We will be careful to not be insensitive or inappropriate in our speech or in our actions. Love will equip us to discern how to come across, what to say, how to say it, when to say something, and when not to say something. And instead of being self-centered and self-focused, We will be set free to grow in our awareness of the needs of those around us, to defer to others, to put their needs and who they are above our own. Doesn't that sound lovely? It sounds peaceful. Only with God's love, you guys. Only with God's love. Verse 5 continues to point out that love is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrong. In other words, it's not irritable, it's not resentful, and it's not easily provoked. On the contrary, a loving heart thinks the best. It puts the best possible construction on difficult things that happen in our lives. Not a pie in the sky like you're not living in reality, but this— Um, I know sometimes we have been hurt, and if we have been hurt, and you know it, you need to go to that person in love and have a conversation about it. But also, sometimes we assume things, and we don't really know. We're just assuming that you were being this way to us, that you were being hurtful. So love would choose to say, hmm, that was hurtful what that person said, but I, I don't really think they meant it. In malice, I think they just weren't being very thoughtful. Rather than going to worst case scenario about it, could it be that with love, we could grace them and not just assume? Love is God's antidote to a suspicious heart. It will prevent you from feeling like people are conspiring against you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-19 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he was committed to us the message of reconciliation. This kind of love will no longer allow us to keep record of wrong, but rather you guys move us towards forgiveness and reconciliation, and we cannot do this in our own strength, my friends. We will need Jesus' love for others in order to do this, but he offers it freely, and he offers it in abundance. Paul points out in verse 6 that love does not delight in evil, but will rejoice in the truth. Love will always make the most generous judgment possible. It is willing to want the best for others and refuse to color things the way we want to. But it does not mean that love is blind. Love can tell the difference, Christ-like love can tell the difference between what is right and what is wrong. And as we grow in this love, the more we'll be able to discern what is good and true. We'll have an opportunity to grow in godly discernment. In Philippians 1:9 and 10, Paul says, "And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Wow. Those few verses had a lot packed in it, didn't it? And it's kind of a little sobering to some degree because I I think I see where I lack love in a lot of different areas. But I want you to know... um, that we are never stuck in not loving Christ-like. One of the practices that has helped me as I've been, you know, when when you preach something or when you're teaching, you dive into it a month or so in advance and God's working in your own life, right? So, of course, he's bringing people across my life that are irritating, I'm envying this, or I don't have patience here, and I'm trying to practice. So if I'm gonna preach on this, God, I know I won't do this perfectly, But may the dashboard go off, right? May I see where I need you, God. And so it was flashing all month, let me just tell you. But one of the things that was extremely helpful for me was this practice, this simple practice called breath prayer or exclamatory prayer. It's a quiet pausing in that moment when the dashboard goes on with the word, let's say, irritable. It's a quieting of my heart and lifting up a prayer to God. A short but fervent prayer. Father, give me your love. Lord, grow me in humility. Help me, God, to be grateful. Lord, I need your patience. All of you, God, less of me. Give me your discernment today, God. Charles Spurgeon put it this way in his book, Prayer and Spiritual Warfare. If I see sparks coming out of a chimney, I know there's a fire inside somewhere. And exclamatory prayers are like the sparks that fly from the soul that is filled and burning coals of love to Jesus Christ. It's these sparks, these prayers that just go up. We love God and we don't want to act out of ourself. And so I'd encourage you throughout your day, Ephesians 6.18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. 1 Thessalonians 5.7 says, Pray continually, pray without ceasing. This is one of the ways we get to do that, right? I hope all of us, you guys, have a practice on a regular basis to set aside time, maybe in the morning or in the evening to, to sit down and pray, or maybe you're praying in your car. But I'm talking about in the moment, in the heat of the moment kind of prayers, Like, I don't have a lot of time, God, I need your help now, or I'm gonna say something or do something that is not honoring to you. That's where we get to practice this, this breath prayer, this explanatory prayer. So I wanna close our time today um, with a story, a one another story of a Westgate um, family. But before I do, I wanna remind us of a couple things about love. First off, Christ-centered love always seeks connection. We can't have this kind of love on our own. So if we first need to connect with God and then we need to connect with others, this will require us, you guys, to slow down in order to truly see the people around us, to know them, to notice them, and to want to be loving towards them. Love also is to will and to work for the good of someone. And guys, I don't know about you, but this takes sacrifice. Working for the good of others destroys our self-seeking and our self-absorption. It will cost you something, but it will be worth it as God grows you in his love. So this story that I want to tell you is not, it is a story that happened to me and it's about me, but it's not about me. You'll get it as we move along. But you know, what we talked about this morning was kind of heavy, right? And ways that we want to grow in love, but you all are doing a great job too. I just want to tell you the one another here at Westgate shows itself often. So I couldn't help but share a story that happened a month ago, um, and I want you to see the different parts of loving one another in the story, okay? So I might feel a little choppy as I tell it to you, because I'm just going to pause to point out these one another's along the way. So, um, gosh, about a month ago, um, I every Monday when I come into my office, I have um, cards on my desk. Sometimes you guys fill them out. There are Connect cards, and you can check different things on them, like you want to know more about life groups, you want to know how to serve... You want to know about high school ministry, things like that. And then there's a part you want to talk with the pastor or you want to know more about growing in your faith. So I get those cards, the talk to the pastor, grow in your faith cards. So I was looking it over and I was reading. It. I'm like, great, I'll send this gal an email and see if she wants to get together. So I emailed her. She got right back to me, and we planned to meet up the following Sunday after church. Well, I got the card, so to back up, because this gal and um, her family were new to Westgate. They'd just been here, I think, two weeks. And the first week they came here, they did, they're they from another place. They knew nothing about Westgate. But some gal that she was connected with said, hey, you should go to Westgate Church. Because she said, you know, I'm trying to get back into church. Um, she was pregnant, by the way. Um, tw- no, 38 weeks. So two weeks out from having a baby. And really feeling this conviction, she and her husband, um, that they wanted this time um, to have a church body to help support them. They have a daughter who's seven years old. And so this was their second. So anyhow, um, this gal that encouraged her to go to Westgate called up my friend Mary, who goes here. And Mary, this is in the morning on Sunday. Like, hey, Mary, what are you doing this morning? And Mary's like, well, I think I'm working in Kidstown, but after that, I'll be at the second service. She's like, great. I have this gal I want to connect you with. Can you meet her under the tent before the second service? So Mary's like, sure. So Mary met with her, um, met with her family, came and sat with her, took her out to the table to fill out the card, right? And so that's how we got here. Number one, first thing that I want you to see of loving one another is Mary, absolutely sure, I'll meet with her. It was maybe inconvenient for her. There were maybe other things she would have done, but she took the time to meet with her, and she didn't. She brought her, and she introduced her to others, which is a very kind thing to do. And this gal then fills out this card, and now we're at Monday morning at my desk. Get the card, email her. The next Sunday, um, we were going to meet in between services. So I'm sitting in my office. I see, I've never met her before. I see this gal coming, but she has a, a gentleman with her. I didn't know at the time she was married. I just knew that... Um, that she wanted to talk to a pastor. And so I shot up a quick prayer because, you know, I was just planning the two of us in my office, sitting comfortably in my little two chairs next to each other, hearing her story. I'm like, oh, there's somebody else (laughs) How do we do. It sounds lame, but it's how I think. So anyhow, um, we moved into the conference room, she and her husband. And because she had checked that she wanted to talk to a pastor, I already knew, you know, like that she'd found out a lot of other information. So I'm like, I'm here with you today. I'd love to hear a little bit about you guys. What are you, you know, what's your story? And so the husband um, in very short, briefly shared that they had just moved here, that he had grown up in a Christian home. It was a Christ follower, but over the years they've kind of been distant from their faith. But again, just really feeling like with this baby that they really felt led to go back to church. So then I hear her story and she's similar. She grew up Catholic again, um, you know, Kind of had wandered a bit from her faith, but still had a lot of questions about her faith. Um, and so she felt like it was important for her to be here um, at church. I could tell you guys, she was this close for making a decision to trust. Everything she was saying was leading towards living and being a Christ follower. So this is the Holy Spirit. Lisa, ask her if there's anything that's keeping her from trusting Christ. Oh, no, God, I don't want to be pushy. <laughs> I'm sure now is not the time. I've got this inner battle going on. And then it was obvious. And out of my mouth went, is there any reason that's keeping you from putting your faith in Christ? It sounds like you're right there. And I waited for all the excuses, right? She said, no, there isn't. (laughs) And so the beauty is that she was... For, as you say fruit, she was fruit already on the ground, so ripe. We, I got to pray with her. She accepted Christ that day. And this, I mean, is the most important and most awesome thing. But there's more. Okay, I, want this, that, I don't want this story to be about me leading someone to Christ. She was ready. But we, I did take the time. I did want to hear her story. And I hope that we would all do that with people around us. And I had the courage, thanks to the nudging of the Holy Spirit, to ask her, is there anything from keeping you? Oh, that we would love each other well enough to be courageous to ask those questions. People want Jesus. They just don't know it. All right. Now, here's where it gets so exciting. All right. So as she leaves, I give her a hug and I say, you know, if there's anything you need, I know you're just a couple way, you know, weeks away from having a baby, just let me know. And she said, okay, I'll, I'll do that. Um, and we hugged and she left. Well, the next morning I got an email from her and she's like, thank you so much. It was so awesome to meet with you. And then she said, you mentioned if there were any needs. She said, we're having a boy. It's been seven years since we had a girl. If, If you know anyone that might have some gently used boy clothes that we could have for a baby, that would be awesome. I kid you not, and I am so embarrassed to tell you this, the first thought that came out of my mouth was, oh, crap. She needs me to do something. I'm a pastor; that is not Christ-like. But here's the deal: I'm being honest with you because it's Monday morning. I have a list a mile long of meetings that I'm in, of people I have, I'm booked to see, and conversations, and all that kind of thought. It wasn't so much that I didn't want to do it; it was like, not now. And and I love to give towards people. I'll take your. Amazon wish list and all punch and buy things, but to organize it that takes a lot more work, right? And so it was like, oh no, oh crap, now what? And so I'm like, I shot up a prayer. Okay, God, you know me. This isn't my forte. Uh, what can I do? And immediately my life group came to mind. So I emailed my life group, hey guys, here's the here's the situation. If any of you can help, let me know. And then as I came in um, to work, I talked to two of my coworkers and I said. Guys, do you know anybody that just had a baby boy or that has boys? And sure enough, one of the gals said, what about Bianca? And I have permission from Bianca to share this story. And I'm like, that's right, Bianca and Andy. They have three boys. How awesome is that? And they just had like their youngest is about one. And they're moving like in two weeks. I bet they would love to get rid of some things, right? It's on the move. So I quickly email Bianca, quick, short email, like by any chance, uh, if you, in your packing, you know, wouldn't mind if you have anything kind of a thing. Here's what she wrote me back. And this is where you see the love one another come into place. It says, hi, Lisa. When I got your email, I couldn't help but feel a pull on my heart. I thought about the organized and labeled tubs of gently used baby clothes sitting already packed and ready to move, just waiting on the shelves in our garage. I'm not really sure what I'd save them for, but up until now, I wasn't able to bring myself to part with them yet. Some of us moms know what that's like, the cute little baby things, right? Then I couldn't help but hearing the liturgy we say during offering each Sunday repeat in my head over and over again. To give without sacrifice is the way of the world. Help me to steward my resources in such a way that you might entrust me with true riches. Gently used baby clothes may not sound like a typical sacrifice, but for some reason it felt harder than I had expected. And then she goes on to say this. In the midst of the chaos of moving, Andy and I sat down and opened each box. This gets me. We laughed and we cried and we prepared, and I'll show you this, a gift bag of each size for the first year of this little boy's life. Hand-me-downs have been such a blessing to our family. And as we continue to grow, and while Andy and I can't give much in the way financially during the season of life, knowing we can bless a family in need and my bride for this precious little one means the world to us. Please know that each bag was prepared, as each bag was prepared, I prayed for this young family and their son. I prayed that this woman who gave her life to Christ continues to experience the goodness of God as she begins her faith journey. Please let me know the best way to get these gift bags to you so that they can be given to the family in need. Everything is gently used, washed, and sorted by size. Thank you, she says, for reaching out and giving me the opportunity to allow God to speak into my heart and convict me of this small step of obedience. That is loving one another in the body of Christ. I don't know how God is speaking to your heart this morning. I'm wondering what his invitation of growing in love might be. At Westgate, we have two really practical ways in which we have opportunities to love one another. You saw when we started off um, a life group getting together, having the opportunity to live out the one another on a regular basis and having time to encourage each other and to pray for each other as they look to grow in love with each other, as well as um, who and where they go into life in their neighborhoods, in their work. For those of you, um, you may be like Bianca and maybe serving is an area that God is asking you to grow in love in. We have so many opportunities, hundreds literally every weekend, to serve here at Westgate, to use your spiritual gifts that God has uniquely given you to love, the body of Christ. It's a beautiful opportunity. For all of us, though, as you and I put our names in that first love is blank, and it's like Lisa is patient, Lisa is kind, and we were like, eh, I'm wondering if God maybe nudged you in a certain area, and he's inviting you to notice that dashboard on your heart, the light going off and asking you to go to him in love in that particular area. May you know this morning that God desires more than anything to partner with you in love. He is waiting to invite you in and to genuinely and generously fill you with love for one another. Let's pray. Oh, Lord again just so grateful for your love. Lord, thank you for showing us that this isn't a list of ingredients that we need in order to be loving. But Lord, as we grow in our love for you, these things on our dashboard disappear. They become easier. We're we're still human, God. We're not going to do it perfectly. But oh, that we would seek your love, that we would shoot up like sparks in a fire, breath prayers on a regular basis. Oh God, I need you. Come Lord Jesus now. Fill me with your love. Fill us with your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.